Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, it's Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 495 of the podcast. It's January 3rd, 2024. Happy New Year. My guests today are Catherine Chevron and Fabrice Bernard discussing Catherine's new book, Learning to Scale at Theodore Group. In today's episode, we discuss applications of lean principles as both Catherine and Fabrice share how Theodore Group implemented lean as a strategic pillar in their operations, using lean as a way to create sustained growth and maintain their competitive edge. They systematically address business challenges using TPS, the Toyota Production System, extreme programming, and Scrum to conjure up uh, what they call the agile magic of small integrated teams at scale. So to learn more, uh, for a link to the book and more, look in the show notes or go to leanblog.org slash 495. Well, hi, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Mark Raven. My guests today are Catherine Chabiron and Fabrice Bernard. Um, they uh, So I'll say hello, and, and because they're both French, I don't speak any French, I'll say uh, I'll say bonjour to, to everybody. But uh, Catherine is a board member for the Institute Lean France, which is a member of the Lean Global Network, like the Lean Enterprise Institute here in the U.S. Um, Catherine is an expert in lean management with a, a professional journey that spans over 40 years with experience in a range of service and support functions, including IT, logistics, sales, finance, and HR, both in France and globally. Um, we'll, we'll learn about her origin story, but she has roots in the automotive industry, where she's lived and breathed uh, the lean philosophy. This includes many trips to the Toyota supply chain uh, in Japan. So Catherine is not only a lean executive coach, but also an author. Her book is, is titled Learning to Scale at Theodore Group, Growing a Fast and Resilient Company. So I'll, I'll say bonjour, Catherine. Welcome. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. And here is the book, by the way. Yes, so we see the book. Possibly to discuss today. Yes. <laughs> Learning to Scale at Theodore Group. And so speaking of Theodore Group, uh, we're... Uh, joined by their chief Chief technology officer and co-founder, Fabrice Bernard. He founded Theodo in Paris in 2009. The company has grown on average 50% a year over the last eight years and generated 90 million euros in revenue in 2022. He's now based in London to help with uh, the international expansion. So Fabrice, bonjour, good day. Welcome. How are you? Good day. Thank you for inviting us. Yes. Of all the words to stumble over, I don't know why the word technology um, tripped me up there. But um, uh, you know, we're going to start maybe uh, with Catherine. You know, I like to, to ask people how you started your your lean journey. It sounds like it was with the Toyota production system. But let, let me turn it over to you to hear more about your background and, and origin here. Well, when you join automotive. You cannot not do lean. <laughs> I was working not directly to, uh, in a car maker industry, but in a supplier and rank one supplier of car makers all over the world. And it was quite obvious we had to do uh, lean. And my particular experience is that lean was quite developed in manufacturing. Uh, it was starting uh, in, in the lean engineering part in developing products. And my job at that time uh, was to develop lean in offices, in, in support functions. Uh, 
um, which I did uh, quite extensively in, in the domain of uh, finance, which sounds curious, but that was in, uh, in accounting, for example, where you have a lot of recurrent tasks and there's a lot of flows and a lot of documents, systems, and data to take care of. Uh, but most of the, the, the lean experience I have derives from our activity in IT, uh, when, where we were providing uh, production systems. And uh, I really helped IT in that uh, automotive company to propose a, a lean uh, approach to bugs, problems, quality, uh, releases, and so on. Uh, this is where my experience steps, steps uh, or stems from. Uh, and, and then I moved out of the uh, automotive industry, uh, continued lean with uh, different industries, progressively moved out to uh, services like the post office. I have extensively worked with the French post office to, to help them do lean. Um, and I heard about Theodo, and they were in the tech business, uh, the digital writing apps for the web or mobile phones. And I thought, oh my God, how they, they, and they were saying that they were using Lean practically as a strategy to, to run the, the business. Um, and this is what brought me to them because um, I wanted to see what they were doing. And since I was doing a lot of visits, a Gemba visits to French companies, uh, and I was telling the tale in uh, Planet Lean magazine, uh, um, just rang the bell and said, uh, hello, can I come and visit you? Mm -hmm. And this is the story, how it started. Uh, and then uh, speaking of visits, as it said in your bio, um, you had trips to Japan. How, how would you describe the impact of, of visiting there? Well, every time I go back there, you know, it's those uh, TPS study tours, uh, nothing uh, specific. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of other people have done it. Uh, we actually met in Japan with Fabrice in a, such, a, such a tour. That every time we go there, every time we take a new step back. Uh, for example, our last visit in May, we, we had a, a really deep th uh, thinking about what Kaizen actually meant. Is Kaizen so much the initiative of frontline people? No, actually, frontline people have very limited opportunities to do Kaizen because they can only impact the gesture, the technical, the workstation and the gestures they make. Uh, but actually, there is a lot more Kaizen uh, that is very key in the company. The, the Any waste produced when you launch a new product. So do the engineers who design new products come and see and, and do the Kaizen with the frontline people uh, on whatever they, they, they create? Mm -hmm. uh, every time you change the line, uh, manufacturing, manufacturing engineering people, they have to come to the frontline people and, and also check the impact of what they, they, the decision they took. Supply chain. Every time the supply chain brings in a new supplier, a new material, uh, a new way of, a, a new lead time, uh, they are going to impact the production. So Kaizen is, you know, that, that was really thinking about it again. Kaizen is not just a frontline operator right. business. Right. It's everybody's business. Um, one other question for you, Catherine, before we'll we'll turn uh, to Fabrice for a bit. Um, when, when you were doing some of that work in office and support functions, um, was... 
I'm curious to hear if you have any stories about trying to get people um, engaged with lean. They, they 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 might say, "Well, we're we're not the factory. We're not the shop floor. Uh, we're different." You mentioned repeatable processes. Sometimes people have trouble seeing that. Do you have Do you have any recollections of you know some some of the the, the ways you you got people to um, cooperate with you? I would say the big bosses were the most reluctant. Mm, interesting. Like, like, just get out of my silo. I know what I'm doing. Uh, uh, don't bother me. But every time I went to the frontline operators and we were doing some gemba and and you know, just what I remember one day where we were watching an accountant trying to enter uh, invoices, the supply invoices in SAP. And then we, we took a step step aside and watched another more experienced one. And the other one was taking three three times less time uh, to do the same job. And when the, the local boss saw that, he, he thought, my God, I haven't helped the people understand all the tips and tricks. I'm just putting them in front of a, of a machine and, and, and assuming that they know. Um, so usually when we were with frontline of operators and local management, um, providing they were willing to open their eyes and change things, uh, it usually worked. Uh, the big bosses were more reluctant, so I had to go around them sometimes. Mm. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> Fabrice, maybe I'm, I'm wondering if it makes uh, if it's better for you to tell some of the story of Theodore Group about the company and the founding and what you do, or your lean origin story. I don't know how those are intertwined. Perhaps I can I can completely intertwine them both <clears throat> together because they're very they're very much linked. Um, yeah, if you, if you start so you know I co-founded the first company before Theodore um, called Anomatch.com. So that was a Typical uh, uh, web, you know, web startup. We were, we were the website to find sports bars and cafes and restaurants where to find, to find these places where you couldn't watch sports games. Mm -hmm. And that was actually so that was an amazing adventure straight out of uni. Um, and 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 it, it, the product became very popular. We we reached break even, uh, but at the same time, it wasn't generating that much revenue. It was enough as a you know student or uh, straight out of university person, but clearly it, it wasn't enough for, for our future ambitions. And that's when we started Theodore. And I'm mentioning that because at, at the early stage, it's really is product DNA. You know, we wanted to create a product that, you know, generated value to users and we managed to generate value for users and not enough for the business. Um, so then but one asset we have is this technical team. So we start servicing other small businesses that, you know, we're, we're, at the time when 2008, 2009, you know, digital transformation is 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 big, and so every small business has this like low hanging fruit of thing you could digitize. And so we start doing it for one of our you know roommates, like a business that was in the same building as us, and we it it really it's it's like it creates tremendous value for them. The the, the software we built together was actually used for ten years, generated tens of millions of revenue over the years. And, and we really love building it. So that's that's the beginning of Theodore, trying to build the kind of you know useful products um, uh, that we know how to build for others. Um, but there's two key moments in the journey. That's where we, you know, come come to lean. The first key moment is at 
you know, we start, even though we're like, we're digital natives, so we do like stuff that looks agile. We're not, we're not expert enough in, ag- in agility at the time. And so we're doing some kind of weird mix of everything with, with, um, with clearly um, mixed results. And there's this moment where we're starting to be very frustrated by how things work. And, and to make it very simple, in, in the usual way of working, you agree, you know, you, you sign a contract on what you're supposed to do for what price. And this, this applies to a lot of industries. Um, software is, is one of them, and there's a lot of complexity. And as soon as you sign the contract, the issue is there's so much complexity in what you're building that it starts becoming like a, a, a you know, a constant battle between uh, a business or customer that wants more features within the scope. And of course, like the, the delivery team trying to uh, maintain the margins and, and sanity. And so trying to cut some corners and, and so we reach a stage where we're like, okay, we need a different way of working. This is not, this is not good enough. And we decided to go really strict and agile. Uh, really scrum by the book, extreme programming, and kind of impose it on the clients and say, look, this is a way we believe things can be done better. We can build better products this way. So we that's the only way we want to offer. And we were very lucky because actually the first project was an amazing success. And the second and third. And it, it was really, a, you know, day and night. All of a sudden, the clients were very happy because we were building exactly what they needed or actually things that they needed but didn't know they needed at the beginning. Uh, the teams were much happier because they, they got engaged in the problem solving, like trying to actually create value for the business. And for us as a business, it was it was very scalable. Like all of a sudden, a new client was a new agile team around them. The client was in the team. And therefore, there was... I before that I was the chief firefighter going around trying to solve problems, and all of a sudden the teams were so empowered around the client, they 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 managed to solve almost every problem they they, they faced. Uh, and that's the key. That's really important because I think for us that was the eye-opening moment where we thought, oh wow, there are different ways of working, mm-hmm. uh, and they can really change everything, both mm-hmm. for the customer creating more value, but also for for the people really, you know, uh, enjoying it more. Right, and when we realized that agile was good for structuring how a team works with a client on a project, but we're quite limited in in telling us what to do at a corporate level, like what do you do with recruitment, what do you do with sales, what do you do with with strategy, with financing, um, what do you do with projects that need more than one team, and um, luckily for us, this was before Safe became popular. Mm-hmm. And, so and for those who don't know, sorry, not everyone knows Agile. Can you say what SAFE stands for? Yeah, so Agile um, is is most is most known for one methodology called Scrum. Um, and it's often, and when you talk about Agile, you often refer to the uh, Agile Manifesto, agilemanifesto.org. And SAFE, which is the acronym for uh, Scaled Agile for Enterprise, or I think, um, is is a framework that was um, built over time to address exactly the issue I had at the time and that most organizations have, which is I'd love to be agile. I can see the benefits of being agile, but I'm not a one team of software developer. So how do I get these benefits uh, at the size of my large company or my large project that involves many teams? And and SAFE is, is a framework trying to answer that. And at the time, we it didn't exist, so we we went for a different option. And now, with in hindsight, 
I'm I'm quite assertive on the fact that safe does scale, but it doesn't scale agile. <laughs> um, and and so to come back to us at the time, what we wanted was really scale these like agile principles. Um, and we met with someone who said, yeah, I had the same issue. I was like, I tried agile. It was amazing, but I was in this large telco. And as soon as I tried to apply it at a, you know, a bigger scale, it just didn't work. And, it, and it, I could feel that, you know, it was profoundly not uh, thought for like larger scale. So I looked for something else and I found something and it's called lean. And if you want, I can actually, you know, help you on your journey because I've been on this journey for a while and I've actually like quit the telco and I'm now a, a lean coach. Um, so do, do you want me to help you on that? And, and, and of course, it's, it's, what he said resonated so much with our experience. They were like, okay, yeah, of course, let's try it. And, and that's the, and the rest is history. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's where it, it things evolved. Catherine earlier mentioned the idea of lean as a strategy. Is that how you would describe things now at Theodo Group? Yeah. I think, um, you know, at the time, what I'm talking is about 2012, 2013. So we're like, we're, you know, we're, we're a bit more than a dozen. Uh, so we're quite, quite small. So I'm not saying we had like, you know, very structured strategy at the time, but I think we had a deep vision and desire to, um, to maintain that agile magic that we had, you know, experienced. Um, so that, that was the strategy. No, that was the, that was the desire. And when we start understanding lean and getting into that journey, it clearly became the strategy to achieve that. So how can we keep the ingenuity of a small team of like, you know, technologists and business experts working together, coming up with like better solution, creating more value. How can we keep that in every function and everywhere in the company? And, and clearly the best framework we've come up with, it's not a silver bullet, but the best framework we've we've encountered is is uh, lean thinking and TPS. So, Catherine, from your perspective as an observer and then as a collaborator um, for for the book uh, and bringing that story to market, what are what are some of your observations and, and thoughts on what Fabrice has said? Well, when I went to see them, I said, can I come for a few visits? Because um, I was a bit ambitious on the book. By the way, we're three authors, but the initial articles that I wrote are the, the, the core of the, the book. And I'm talking about those articles. Um, when I came to see them, I, I was ambitious because I had done the Gemba visits with French companies before, but just telling the, uh, uh, a very limited story about Lean engineering or Kaizen or um, CEO behavior. But this time I wanted to really try and describe the whole company. So we, we were really trying to check what the big challenges can be in, a, in, a, in any company, by the way, uh, not only a scale up. Um, and each of the visits was an opportunity to check how they manage the relation with the customers how they were transforming deals into sales, uh, sorry, leads into sales, into actual products, uh, into after sales, uh, into cash. Uh, how did they recruit, retain talent? Uh, how did they keep uh, on, on the technical, how did, did they manage to survive in, in a very fast changing technical world? 
not to mention the latest uh, chat GPT and so on. You know, how do, do you keep on edge uh, on this technical world? And, and generally speaking, how do they build their strategy based on, on, on all those challenges? So every visit was trying to address one of those business challenges. Um, and it was very clear from visit one or two that they were using TPS extensively. Like, for example, the relationship with the customer, the customer obsession was very much uh, in line with the so the roof of the TPF that we all know with the customer satisfaction. Uh, sure. They were very much working the engagement of people. Uh, they were very aware that you cannot satisfy a customer if you're not taking care of the people that are in the front line. So they were working on systems that could enable the work, the daily work of people. Uh, they were working on and on, you know, the possibility to call for help. Um, they had this also this lead time obsession, like the Kanban. So they, the, the Kanban is something that Agile has adopted, but very often Kanban is just making a product go through a funnel of activities, and more. It's more like looking at the output. What they were really trying to do is understand what was happening in each and every step of the activity uh, is, and, and leading great conversations when they were stuck. And also they were working on quality because I discovered uh, that they, they had read the book of San Nomura, Don Totsu, and some, some of uh, the people in Theodore are very much on uh, radical quality and they were really trying to, to use not know-how and knowledge from the manufacturing into production of tech uh, tech apps. So the TPS was absolutely extensively the support of their daily work, and that was amazing because it's a again uh, uh, it's the digital world. It's a tech company. It's growing fast. The, the people are like. Um, some ways I may, may be wrong, but the average age of the people is around 30-ish. Uh, most of them have never known anything about Toyota. None of them has been in industry. And still they're trying. They're trying because they, they, they see the benefit from it. Uh, I, I, yes, I was very impressed by the fact that they were relying on TPS. Yeah. And then um, you know, we can talk more about... Um, Theodore Group, but uh, can you tell us a little bit more about the story of of how the book came to be? You said you started with some articles and decided there was uh, kind of a, a a more complete story to tell as a book. Yeah, well, actually, the Fabrice Ifame and and you you will certainly add. We had those six articles that I had done for Planet Lean, the six visits with the six business challenges, and. It, it was very interesting to, we were thinking, how can we help the tech world with, with this story? Uh, unfortunately, most of my articles were actually referring to TPS uh, and to lean concepts that most people in the tech world don't know anything about. So we decided to uh, add some explanations about what I had commented on, on the field. Um, and we did that with uh, one of the co-author is the, the author of Learning to Scale, a book that was written already before this book. 
just learning to scale, uh, on how Lean can help people scale up. Uh, and the book Learning to Scale was actually also very much uh, inspired by the Lean strategy uh, by Mikael mm -hmm. Badi. Uh, so that, that's the story. It's the Lean strategy. Can we actually use Lean as a strategy to grow and, and, and sustain our growth? Uh, second, learning to scale, refocus on tech or scale-ups and learning to scale at theater group, uh, the idea of a case study, a real case study, because there's a lot of uh, backstage stories in the book yeah. to tell uh, how it works. It actually works. Fabrice, you may want to add on this. No, I think it's been it's been incredible for us to have. You know, it was it was incredibly full of of learnings to have somebody with with Catherine experience observing us, then writing about us. Then it was even, you know, better to have that as a book, and that, and that's why we're here because I think, I think it's um, I think with Catherine and her co-authors, but I, I do credit her a lot. Have done is um. I think it's, it's a really like practical example of what lean can look like in, in the tech industry. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure there's, there's any other, I mean, I think it's the, it's the first kind example of that kind. Mm -hmm. Learning to scale is an amazing book, but it's still like a slightly theoretical, whereas like Catherine's book is much more um, example based. Yeah. And I, I will put a link uh, in the show notes to those planet lean articles, the, the, the deep dive into a tech exactly. company uh, series. Um, uh, Fabrice, one question for you, because I, I think this term has been used uh, once in a previous episode, but I don't know if, if everyone listening is familiar. Um, the difference between a startup and a scale-up. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, it's, I mean, look, this is this is all like uh, um, trendy wordings, but um, I think a scale-up is often used for a startup that has, uh, gain traction. So usually post series A, series B, which in startup jargon means once you've, uh, once you have a theoretically profitable business model and, and are therefore, uh, I mean, once you've hit product market fits and the reason you're raising money is really to like accelerate the expansion of, of your market. Um, and that's usually when you call it scale up. Uh, and there's, there's post product market fit. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. And, you know, Fabrice, I was also going to ask, uh, when you talk about lean as a strategy, we can also talk about lean as a culture and a leadership style. How, how in what ways do you share lean thinking with your CEO and, and other leaders within Theodo Group? I think it's, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a good, it's actually, you know what, it's a really good question. How, how do we embody lean apart from, you know, saying we like it? Yeah. <laughs> um, so first, we we like it seriously, which means we've been we've been reading books, we've been you know attending conferences, uh, we've we've um, kind of launched a community of practice of other tech companies interested in lean. There's actually a few of them. So that's that's how we we managed to study a bit more, um, and then then we try to implement it in our own company, and it starts probably with Gembaz. So both uh, my my co-founder Benoit and I do Gembas every week. So we look at how work 
is being done on the ground and we have this regular discipline of observing, asking questions, you know, learning, sometimes trying to help, but, you know, not, not definitely not micromanaging. That's not the, the opportunity for micromanagement. So Gambas is probably number one. Uh, so we do that on a weekly basis. We are, um, we do uh, um, leverage the help of, a, of quite a few lean coaches across the group. Often in the, um, in an approach which consists in having, for example, Bruno and I have a monthly uh, Gemba with Micah Ballet. So we'll be walking around the office uh, with him. Um, and, and then in these, in these occasions, he'll be doing the observing, um, you know, thinking out loud, helping us see things that we don't see, helping shake things up <laughs> slightly. Um, so that's that's and then and then there's a lot then there's a lot more things I could I could I could mention. But I think what was very interesting is uh, you know or you could also see it in a chronological point of view. So we st- first started with a lean coach, and what we adopted was stuff that we found completely mind blowing. But um, like visual management, um, visual management on customer value. So for example, one of the first things we did is. Uh, put the 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 voice of the customer. We would actually ask the customer. We would send a survey every week to ask them how how they felt about the project, and that voice was then stored in some database. And we start with the lean coach. One of the first things we did is actually print that and put it on the project board that the team was using to um, to manage a project. So all of a sudden, the voice of the customer was one shared with the team, made extremely visible, and we made it even more visible because we. We decided that a good standard was eight out of ten. So we would put a green smiley if it was above, and a red smiley, like a red um, sad smiley if it was if it was below eight. Uh, second thing we did, I mean, very very connected to that. As soon as you show the problem in a very visual way and empower the team and show it to the team, the next step is clearly to empower the team. So we trained them on problem solving. We trained them on problem solving and then started really encouraging a, a culture of problem solving. So it was, you know, a five-column paper for, for for daily problem solving, but also dojos every week where a team would, like, show their latest problem solving and, you know, the rest of the company would look at it, ask questions, make challenges. Um, um, and then, so we looked also at A3s. Uh, so that was a bit like the first steps in Lean. And then, then we had this encounter with Michael Ballet, who with his um, uh, uh, amazing uh, tact, said, this is not Lean. <laughs> <laughs> right. Lean is Kanban, it's Kaizen, it's much more than that. It's the whole of TPS. You're just scratching the surface. And um, luckily for us, we, you know, we don't have uh, stupid egos. So what we heard was, wow, you're just scratching the surface. There's so much more you can... You can get out of, of uh, diving into lean. And so with, with the help of Michael Ballet and other people, we've been indeed, you know, uh, starting to spread Kanban. And what is very interesting, typically Kanban, I mean, Catherine did mention it, there's a way to understand it in the tech world, which has a few misconceptions, but they're very widespread. So having somebody with, you know, with Michael Ballet's understanding of the industry and, you know, the context in which it was created, it's very easy for him to point on the misconception and say, yes, okay, you don't have cardboards like, like a manufacturing company. Uh, okay, this is not the issue. The misconception is 
the whole point of these card boards in a factory will be to highlight uh, inventory and lead time. And here on your digital version, I don't see lead time, I don't see inventory. So, so typically these kind of challenges will be like, okay, how can we make inventory visible on digital? How can we make lead time visible in digital? So, and basically get back the benefit of what Kanban could be. Kanban is meant to solve. Um, we also start doing Kaizen. Um, so really, we've tried we've tried different format. The format that we've kind of converged to, which is very interesting, is is a one day workshop. Um, so we'll bring one of our internal Kaizen experts and take the team out of the project for a day and like work on on an improvement opportunity that you know either improves either tackles uh, working. A condition issue or sometimes even better um, a deep customer value issue like something that is not part of the backlog but something you know that typically performance or um, yeah, a lot, lot, of, lot of things about performance um, could be like accessibility your quality in terms of making it more like making the user interface more inclusive things like that um, one quick follow-up question for you, Fabrice. You talk about going to Gemba and you're there in the office. Being a tech company, is, is, do you have? Is there a lot of virtual work being done? People working from home, people working remotely, and if so, what 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 does going to Gemba mean in that context? Mm. I mean, we continue to do Gembas during during lockdowns, and and the fact that we're a tech company really helps. <laughs> We do strongly encourage uh, everyone to be in the same office when when we're planning for a Gemba. So even though the product is digital, and indeed we all gather around the big screen and look look at what the product looks like on the screen, um, there's a lot of stuff you know like you see in the interactions between people, probably better when face to face. So that's more. So there's so many different types of gambas. I mean, we're trying to do gambas on everything now. But I say there's like the product gambas, typically the ones uh, Benoit does, which will be about looking at the product and asking the questions, um, asking questions about the value. You know, where's the value? Where are we trying to create more value? Truly understanding product. And this, the fact that the product is digital. Doesn't you know? As, as long as you have a big screen on which you know around which you can gather as a team, it's it's good enough. I do gambas and code, so that's even more virtual. Um, and you know, I've tried different things, but I usually start by looking at um, an architecture schema, which is probably the best you can get in terms of tech of big picture point of view. And then I usually dive in um, <clears throat> in the recent commit. So what has become the really widespread practice in tech is you write code and you and you write in every chunk of work, so typically a few hours, or some some people are very extreme and do it every few minutes. You will package it as a commit and then push it to the um, shared repository of code. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting to look at. You know, recent commit. I usually, I, I, for one rule I use sometimes, I, mean, I often use is I will look at the last commit that has like a fix, uh, the word fix or bug fix in the title. So I'll be like, ah, oh, interesting. Let's look at 
you know, the last time you encountered a bug and you did something about it. And, and so then you can look, you know, the 10, 20, 30, 50 lines of code that have been written and really dive into, you know, some quality issue that the team has encountered. Mm-hmm. So, um, Catherine, I, w- I want to turn back to you on maybe some broader themes that you touch on in the book. And I think you um, brought up a little bit earlier uh, around continuous improvement and Kaizen. Like, what, what, what does that mean to you? And how, how do leaders foster uh, a culture of, of learning and continuous improvement? Uh, it's the key. Huh? It's the key of the thing, the, of the matter, because the whole point of when, when you grow, the, the risk, this is why we started with this, the idea of scale The risk when you grow is to, to run into a bureaucracy that gets st- very easily stuck. Um, so continuous improvement is the way out of the, grow, the the bureaucracy. Not that we don't need a bureaucracy. Of course, we need some finance reports, some reporting, uh, a number of rules about how to purchase and who is supposed to purchase and, and whatever, what have you, or how to recruit and who is supposed to recruit and how. Uh, but the, the continuous improvement is the key matter, and this is where people start learning. Uh, we have a part in the book that discusses uh, what Fabrice just mentioned mentioned earlier, the, the one-day workshop on Kaizen. They have a Kaizen expert, a Mr. Kaizen, that help, come in and help teams to undergo one or several Kaizens, depending on the, on the topics that they have selected. And at the end, it's really a learning process because the, he's asking people, number one, to think about alternative ways of doing things. And second, to test one, two, or three of those alternative ways, depending on the time they have. And every time it's an individual learning that comes out of it. So the point is problem solving and continuous improvement are, are there activities, the daily activities that will create learning and learning you need to be able to scale fast. Remember, this is a company that uh, you mentioned that they're growing very fast by double digit every year. So that means they are recruiting extensively every year, not to mention that they have, like every other company, a number of people leaving for other opportunities. So they have a permanent need to to get to onboard people. And at the same time, the technology is moving extremely fast. They have no other way than learn faster than their competitors. This is the survival game. How do they learn faster uh, to be more effective, more competitive, to design more value, to identify new trends and so on? This is through problem solving and continuous improvement. And this is what they try to do with, with a number of, um, with, with Andon, with the lead time, with the Kanban conversations, uh, with the visual management, with the discussions with the customer. By the way, Fabrice mentioned this discussion with the customer. It's not a net promoter score that questionnaire. It's a really a discussion week on a weekly basis with the customer where they're going to, to ask the customer, is there a problem, Mr. Customer, in the way we support you? Are we going in the right direction? Are we going fast enough with the right quality? And, and this discussion is not always fun. 
it's not fun because the customer will probably tell them, uh, oh, this is not what I wanted, or you were late here, or you're stuck there. And sometimes it's the customer's fault as well because we're waiting for some validation and so on, whatever. It's not fun, but they're learning through that. And uh, Fabrice, what what have you learned um, around creating that culture of learning and the way it helps you scale more effectively at Theodore Group? Well, <clears throat> I think there's a consensus. I mean, every every leader that has a somehow long-term vision wants to create a culture of learning. So that, that's that's quite consensual. Um, <clears throat> and uh, and the question is how do you how do you implement it in the most effective way? And I think TPS is is a great framework for that. Um, because it, it's really like there's, there's a lot of things. There's, there's one thing which is you need to raise the standards, and so that's what Gemba brings you of visual management. You know, you you clarify what the game is, and you clarify how demanding it is, mm-hmm. and 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 you know you walk around to check that like people are not uh, are, are not getting slightly lazier as as you know as the company scales. So really trying to push their thinking as as you know as hard as it can because that's 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 the amazing thing I find about lean is it's really this humanistic approach of, of saying good thinking will create good products and and thinking is what we have as humans uh, that is very unique so developing our thinking as much as we can is is, is, yeah. is an amazing thing so really yeah and um so gambas to like you know uh, um Deep connection of what really happens, but also maintain high standards. Uh, problem solving as you know the constant workout that everyone in your organization uh, practices to exactly keep keep the brain muscle fit, um, and um, and then kaizen to keep the creative <laughs> the the creative brain muscle fit. Uh, not just solving issues, but really like looking beyond issues. What what is doable? Um, yes, yeah, so I, I mean the lean tools have been very helpful. Um, A three, I love A three as a way to, you know, typically I, I love it as the, at the leadership team level, <clears throat> um, because I think it's a great way for the leadership team to um, think. I mean. To get engaged together in a change that is needed. You know, it's not just the CMO who's buying a marketing software, but it's really the CMO saying, okay, this is the problem I'm trying to solve. This is the, the current situation, the analysis I've made and the countermeasures I, I I propose. And then you have the whole leadership team that can be, you know, that can like challenge stuff, but also understand better why the problem is there. And then everyone's committed with the change. That That's amazing. <coughs> and then more, more generally, um, I find in super interesting lean concepts. I mean, Jidoka and, and, and Just in Time. But let's say Jidoka, the idea that the best way to learn is to learn from problems, but to learn from small problems, of course. So the earlier you detect the problem, the easier it is to empower the team on, on solving it. You know, you don't need... 20 years of experience uh, to solve small problems. So making sure, creating the system that will detect problems very early when they're small enough for the team to be fully, fully autonomous on, on addressing them. The Andon chain, 
you know, we use, uh, Catherine loves it because we use undone as a verb in the company. You have you undone? Have you undone early enough? <laughs> yeah. So, but really this idea that the management structure is, is a chain of help. And therefore, if you had a problem, no issue. If you had a problem and didn't undone your manager, ask for help. Uh, well, then that's, that's, uh, that's more annoying. Uh, if, if the manager didn't know and didn't undone his own manager, his or her own manager, that's another issue. So I, so this, this is, these are all, you know, these, these parts of the TPS system, um, that combine together, create this learning culture in a way that I've not seen anyone offer, um, um, a way to get there as in a way that is as articulate as, as TPS has brought me. By the way, if I may add, uh, all those Gemba visits that the leaders of, of Theodore do um, and the problem solving, um, it, it's the, the all those add-ons and problem solving are actually opportunities to understand where the company is stuck. Mm-hmm. If you have to develop a strategy in terms of products, of markets, of uh, where we're going to aim at next and so on. Um, they need to know where they stand. They need to know the capability of the company. So each problem solving that they are looking at, each Gemba visits and each conversations that they have, tell them exactly where they stand. You cannot ask more than what people can do at a certain time you know you if and if you're stuck at a certain level their job is to try and develop this weakness if i may mm-hmm. so th- this all those gamba and discussions on problem solving and kaizen and and and, and very uh, uh, the discussions with a3 uh, that uh, enables collaboration between different teams um, all those help the founders define a, a better strategy because mm-hmm. they understand better where they start from. Catherine, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, about continuous improvement and 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 how it addresses not just the scale up challenge, the scaling or growth challenge in, in different companies, uh, but societal challenges. Um, do you mean generally speaking, or in theater? Uh, well, either, either way. Uh, it's 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 um, know-how, I would say. It's not so easy. Everybody thinks that they can do problem solving and, and continuous improvement, but it's like cycling. If you don't cycle every day, um, it's like sport. If you don't practice every day, um, you, you're not very proficient at it. Uh, and very, very quickly, you will you will usually try the the first solution that comes to your mind. Actually, you think problems in terms of solutions uh, very, very uh, rarely in terms of causes or or conditions. Uh, So problem solving and continuous improvement, Kaizen, whatever, all those forms of sitting back and and thinking uh, are helping people to develop proficiency. Uh, and confidence and trust in in their capability to to change their work environment and their product their their value uh, and and um, makes them far more uh, adapted to changes. So societal, of course, once you're proficient in in that, you can use them for any societal change. Hmm. 
Um, clearly, uh, for example, I know some people, uh, this is not something we have discussed with Fabrice, but I know some teams in uh, Theodore are discussing uh, green code or, you know, um, reducing waste on code, uh, that kind of thing, because code can be very expensive in terms of energy consumption as well. Mm. Um, so, yes, of course, proficiency can help you address any kind of challenge. And uh, as, as we start to wrap up here, Fabrice, may, maybe one question um, back to you. Um, what, why are some of the current ways of scaling a company broken? What, what, what lessons would you have for others about like what they should stop doing in addition to what they should do more of? Ah, what, should this, what they should stop doing. That's a very interesting one. Well, I think if you look at the scaling playbook of of the tech industry. Um, um, there's, I mean, it's it's very interesting because that's where we're getting into kind of like ethical uh, uh, um, territory. Uh, you know, the, because basically there's the lean strategy. The lean strategy is saying, okay, let's scale, but let's scale in a way that is sustainable, that is long-term and is sustainable in terms of, you know, long-term vision, but also sustainable for society. And you have a different playbook, which is the, the kind of zero to one Peter Thiel playbook, which is to say you identify a market where you can actually build a, a, a monopoly and then you, and then you, you take that position and then you extract value out of it. Um, and, and, and that's, and I think I, I don't like that. I don't like that approach because I think first that approach is, is, like there's something ethically wrong in saying, okay, I'm not creating value, I'm extracting value from society, and I think that's what the younger generations have been very uh, up against, which is to say, oh, we don't, we're not confident, and when when we're joining a company, that company actually has a, a vision of contributing positively to society, and um, and I think that's really important, and it's clearly mm. not trying to extract value from a monopoly. And then it's interesting because once you have, like, depending on the two visions you can have, I mean, if, if, if we decide that the world is like <laughs> black and white between these two, uh, I guess when you want to extract, what you what, what you do is you raise a, a, a lot of money, a lot of money to go faster than others. You hire super senior people and, uh, and then you ask these super senior people and experienced people who've already done it before to just execute the playbook. Um, yeah, and I would say that what in, in most, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why it doesn't work. The first one is money has become expensive again. Mm -hmm. So raising uh, billions is, is much less easy nowadays. Mm -hmm. And also, um, what we've experienced is when you hire a lot of senior people and ask them to execute super fast and playbook, you get, you don't get the collaboration. So if, if and like it's, it becomes super hard to, to go into what these people are doing because they're very senior. You've hired them to do the job, and so they they they're really asking you to not look at what they're doing. Yeah, and I think that's, that's that's something that you know. Of course, you need you need to hire senior people. You need that experience, but you need to be careful that you do it in a way where it's compatible with 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 a culture where you can still collaborate with these people. Understand they will have to. Um, work with others, look into what others are doing, let others look into what they're doing and, and, and work together. 
All right. Um, well, I want to uh, thank you both. Um, Catherine, maybe let me just turn to you one last time. If there's anything else that you would like to share with the listeners about the book or, or any kind of closing thoughts. No, I think uh, basically uh, I'm, I'll bounce back on the Fabrice's word. The, the collaboration uh, in a scaling company is, is really important. Uh, you know, the story about the, what we usually qualify as the big company disease mm -hmm. is that uh, process will win over customer, number one. Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't discuss that too much, but this is what those uh, super experts will bring in, the processes. Um, the silos will win over the teamwork because of the bureaucracy of the silos. And we need, and again, we need those silos of expertise, as we said. Um, and eventually the compliance will win over the initiative, like do the playbook and don't bother me. Right. Um, right. So all those uh, tricks are um, easily <laughs> there when you start growing. Uh, you grow, when you grow, you grow complexity, you grow difficulty. Um, and lean is a way to organize teamwork again, collaboration, uh, daily discussion, conversations, raising questions, uh, opening up. Uh, and this is what we need to aim at. It's not comfortable. It's not easy every day. But wow, it pays. It pays off. That's what we try to explain in the book. Yeah. Well, I hope people will check out the book, uh, Learning to Scale at Theodo Group. And uh, I want to thank our guests here today, uh, Catherine Chevron and uh, Fabrice Bernard. Um, thank you for sharing some perspectives about, um, you know, I think uh, what's becoming more, more common, but I think it's noteworthy when uh, it's done well, when lean and other practices are helpful in a, a fast-growing technology company. So great to hear your stories and, and perspectives here today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Mark, for having us. Yes, I, I should say merci beaucoup. And I'm, I'm quickly exhausting um, the amount of French that I <laughs> speak badly. But thanks to you both. Thanks. Well, thanks again to Catherine and Fabrice for joining us here today. For more information about the book and more, look for links in the show notes or go to leanblog.org slash 495. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.